The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. This is Jim Shapiro filling in for Vena Jones-Cox today on this beautiful Wednesday in Cincinnati. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Vena is out teaching. Uh, in a, I'm not even sure if she's in Tennessee. She told me, but I don't recall the details. Her travel plans are too much for me to keep up with. Uh, but I'm excited to be here today, and I've got a guest who's joining us today. Uh, I interview. His name is John Bowen, and John is with... Uh, Equity Trust. Uh, I interviewed John about a year, year and a half ago on this show, uh, talking about self-directed IRAs. And today, John is going to join us and talk about different kinds of self-directed tax-deferred or tax-free investing techniques. John is uh, the National Education Specialist, and I've talked to lots of people over the years, and I can say that of all the People, John may be one of the top three experts in the country on this subject. John knows more about self-directed IRAs and self-directed tax-deferred investments than, uh, than I could I could imagine. And uh, so, John, are you you here there? You there with us, John? I am with you, Jim. Thanks so much for the uh, the kind words. I really appreciate it, and it's it's great to be back on the show with you. It's nice to have you back again. Uh, I'm going to go through some of the questions that you know we had our passed around in our email. Uh, first, I'll say you're going to be one of our guests at the Cincinnati RIA two-day How to Invest in Real Estate in your Tax-Free Account workshop. That's on that May 16th and 17th. That is correct, Jim. Yep. So, so we're going to have you here visiting us, talking to our our local investors and people. We have people coming from all around the region uh, and other states to... Uh, to get the opportunity. I know you do these sorts of seminars all over the country, so we're excited to having you join us. Mm-hmm. So let's talk Likewise, about... Likewise, Jim. You know, there's self-directed retirement accounts. There's also health savings accounts, education savings accounts, and and perhaps others. Uh, let's talk first about self-directed health savings accounts, or HSAs. I know they're very beneficial for people, especially who are self-employed and who don't have insurance through another source, for example, me. I have a, a high deductible uh, insurance account, and I I use my HSA to save funds so that when I uh, need to need it for my health care, I'm able to pull them out of that and cover my uh, deductibles and whatnot. So uh, I'm I'm one of the target audience for this. You know, what is a health savings account? Well, a health savings account, uh, from a self-directed standpoint, it is very similar to an IRA or 401k or retirement product. Uh, the, the main difference is the HSA is to be used for 
medical-related expenses, opposed to an IRA, where an IRA is used, of course, for retirement purposes. Uh, with an HSA account, health savings account, and, and you mentioned, Jim, uh, you are a, a candidate for an HSA, you have a high-deductible health plan. And we find that many real estate investors, small business entrepreneurs, to keep their premiums low for themselves and their families, they have a high-deductible health plan. And with a high-deductible health plan, you qualify to make contributions which are tax-deductible to a health savings account, an HSA. Now, most people are conditioned to um, think that they, they are required to set up an HSA with their medical policy uh, company or insurer, insurance company, uh, the bank or institution that uh, they are recommending. But you can, in fact, set up an HSA uh, with really any bank or financial institution. So our clients uh, typically will establish an HSA, which is self-directed. You then make a contribution to that HSA, which is tax-deductible, and there are limits to how much you can put in every year. And that depends on whether you're under or over 55 years of age and whether you have a family policy or if it's just you on the plan. And when you put that money in and you get a tax deduction, you can then use those monies to go out and buy and sell real estate and notes and tax liens and other types of alternative investments. And all of the growth from the interest you accrue on a loan or the sale of a property or the sale of an option contract, whatever it may be, is all tax-free in that HSA. And then when you start extracting funds, so as long as it's used for qualified medical-related expenses, then it, you aren't paying taxes. So there are some unique benefits with the HSA in that you have a tax deduction when you put the money in, all of the growth is tax-free, and when you take the money out, all the distributions are also tax-free, so as long as you use it for medical-related expenses. Okay. Now are there income limitations for opening a self-directed HSA? Uh, there are no income limitations per se. So whether you're a high income earner, low income earner, you can you can contribute to an HSA. The the quali main qualification for everyone to understand is that you have to have a high deductible health care plan. Uh, but as far as the the uh, contribution, there are contribution limits for an HSA. If you are under the age of 55 and you have a, a self uh, you have a single policy, so you are the only uh, individual covered under that health care program. The uh, contribution limit is $3,350. So you put 3350 in, you get a deduction in the amount of $3,350 in most cases, and then you can grow that amount tax-free. For a family with the policyholder being under 55, you can contribute up to $6,650. For a single policyholder, 55 and over, you can contribute $4,350, and for a family policy where the policyholder is over the age of 55, you can contribute $7,650. And again, you receive a tax deduction for those contributions made to the HSA. Okay. So how does this work if I, let's say I've got my HSA uh, associated with my high deductible policy, and I've been contributing for a couple of years, and I've got six or 7000 in it, how can I use that as a self-directed investment? How does that process work? And let me at this point also, before you answer that, uh, invite callers to uh, 
Uh, call in. If you have questions, uh, please call us in the Cincinnati area at 513-772-9658 and at uh, toll-free at 1-877-772-9658. Uh, we're happy to take your calls and questions. So, John, back to that question. How do I use these funds to do real estate deals? Sure. Well, there, there are a number of ways in which you can position those funds into various real estate-related instruments. Now, the question comes up frequently is, John, I'm making a first-time contribution to an HSA, and you have those limits. You can only put so much into that HSA. So how do I go out and do real estate deals when I only have a small amount of capital in the HSA to start with? And there are a number of ways in which you can do this. One of the options uh, that we see a number of investors exploring is holding real estate options in the self-directed health savings account. And let me run you through an example of how this works. For those of you who aren't familiar with a real estate option, the, the, the fundamental um, instrument in and of itself is no different than a stock option. So when you put a property under contract with an option to buy, you have the right, not the obligation, to exercise the purchase of that property at a future date at a predetermined price. So you're getting the deal under contract with an option, again, not the obligation, but the option to purchase the, the property at a future date. So in, in investors will put properties under contract with an option to buy using the HSA because oftentimes it only requires a very small amount of capital as consideration or earnest money. So it might be $100, it might be $200, it might be $500. Typically, we see anywhere in the range of $100 to $500. So let me give you an example. A client of ours in Atlanta, Georgia, put a property under contract with an option to buy for $100 using his health savings account. So he said, Equity Trust Company, my HSA is entering into this contract. Please send $100 out for the earnest money deposit. So the option was funded with the HSA account. The HSA took title to that option contract, which was also recorded with the county recorder. In less than 60 days, that investor found a buyer, somebody that wanted to buy the property, renovate it, and resell it. Because the investor didn't have enough capital in the HSA to buy it, renovate it, and resell it, the HSA only had the money for the down payment. So the HSA and the investor with the HSA assign that option contract to the investor buyer in less than 60 days and made $4,098.20 in the health savings account. So a $100 investment with the HSA was transformed to $4,098.20 in less than 60 days. And then that investor had that additional capital to be able to reinvest in some more option deals. And then once they built the, the, the account up enough, they were, able, they were able to then move on to a buy, fix, and hold and a buy, fix, and sell strategy. So as you can see here, with these small dollar deals, what you have to do is find deals that, that meet the, the criteria, if you will, of the HSA capability and then, and then exploit that to your best ability to then get into a position where you can buy, fix, and hold or buy, fix, and sell real estate because you have enough capital reserves in that HSA account. And I know Vina talks a lot about using her HSA and some of the deals that, that she has worked with uh, and students have, have done with their HSA accounts. And I've seen deals with as little as $100 in the deal 
and using a private lender, uh, which in often, oftentimes we find is an IRA investor. And that IRA investor loans money to the HSA, and the HSA puts the property under contract, buys it, renovates it, and resells it to an investor buyer or sells it on financing. So a lot of different ways in which you can use the HSA and, and use that investment vehicle to buy and sell real estate in a tax-advantaged environment. All right, John, before we continue, I've got a couple more questions, but we have to take a quick break. So we'll be right back with Real Life Real Estate Investing. Hello and welcome back. This is Jim Shapiro with Real Life Real Estate Investing, filling in for Vena Jones-Cox today. I'm here with John Bowen talking about using self-directed uh, tax-free investment tools. Uh, and before we continue, let me just note, uh, we're again happy to take calls at the one eight seven 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 two nine six five eight, or locally at 513 772 9658, or you can email your questions in to askvina at gmail.com. Askvina at gmail.com. So, John, let me uh, ask you a question that often people ask. What happens to the money they put in their HSA uh, if it doesn't get spent during the year? If it doesn't get spent during the year, it would carry over year after year, and the HSA does not go away. You don't lose the entire balance if you don't use it for medical-related expenses. There is what they refer to as a flex savings account. That's probably why that question came up. A flex savings account, if you don't use it by December 31st, all the money goes away. Health savings accounts are much different than FSA accounts. HSA accounts, you put money in, that's your cash. You get a tax deduction for it. And then when you take it out, when you decide to take it out, so as long as it's used for medical-related expenses, medical costs, then then there's no taxation. Now, if you get to a point where you say, I don't need the money for medical care, and you want to just take the money out, you're permitted to do that. You don't lose the balance, but you do have to pay taxes and a 10% premature penalty or uh, un- uh, non-qualified penalty uh, on the distribution. So uh, you want to be mindful of that. Okay. What happens if someone dies? Uh, if someone passes away, it would be left to their surviving spouse, uh, which uh, would likely be covered under that policy, so they would keep it as an HSA. In the event that the account holder passes away and leaves it to a, a child or a grandchild or, or non-spouse, then the account at that point would be distributed and uh, the individual would have to pay taxes and, and a penalty on that distribution but they would still be able to retain the uh, principal balance after those taxes have been paid. It would be, it would just be like if that contribution had never been made to that HSA account. Okay. Now, what if I already have an HSA and it's not a self-directed HSA? Uh, simply transfer that existing HSA to a self-directed HSA account. Okay. Uh, most banks and, and institutions that offer HSAs aren't going to allow investors to buy real estate and real estate options and tax liens and notes and all these other alternative assets that we see our clients participating in. They're only going to allow investors to invest in stocks, mutual funds, etc. And you can have as many HSAs as as you'd like. Uh, Most people only have two. They'll have an HSA with their traditional bank where they put money in and they use that for their, their incidentals. And then they move cash from that HSA to a 
uh, self-directed HSA, and then they use that self-directed HSA for their real estate and non-standard investment activities. Okay. Now, what if I have insurance with uh, my employer? What if I'm an employed person and I've got a policy? Can I still set up an HSA account, or will it the fact that you know, I have to set up a high-deductible account first before I could do that? So as long as you have a high deductible health plan, so if you, to answer the question, if you are working with a large employer, uh, they offer health care, and uh, you have a you can choose between a standard and a, and a high deductible health plan, you, you one, need to make sure that you do, in fact, uh, have a high deductible health plan, and with that, you qualify for an HSA. So you would simply go down to the banking institution that they've uh, referred uh, referred you to and set up an HSA or simply say, I don't want to work with that banking institution and I want to self-direct my HSA and simply set up a self-directed HSA with an institution such as Equity Trust that allows for these types of services and activities. And then you put the money directly into that HSA, that self-directed, get your deduction, and then use that to invest in real estate and and the other alternative assets that we discussed. What if my spouse? What if I'm covered under my spouse's insurance policy? Uh, that's okay. Um, with Same a thing. family policy, you would likely have one HSA in the, under the name of the, the policy holder. And so, if your spouse has uh, a high deductible health plan, you're covered under that policy. You can set up a HSA self-directed under your name. You just can't exceed those maximum allowable contributions that we discussed. Okay. So let's say I, uh, I've got my high deductible policy and I've got my HSA. I mean, some people are going to ask this question, well, how do I use my HSA to pay for medical care? Do I have a checkbook or a credit card? Very simple. Uh, you, you can do it one of two ways. You can request a check from your custodian, uh, Equity Trust, to pay for those expenses. Most people don't do it that way. Most people are going to pay for the expense, and then the HSA will send, send a check out to re- reimburse uh, the individual. Now, I have an HSA, was, and I, it was set up before I was even aware of these things, uh, through HSA, oh, I won't get into which one. I have a Visa card. Do you also offer something like that? Uh, we so do not, just... as a self-directed IRA custodian, okay. offer a Visa card. Most banks and financial institutions, because they're geared to, to investing in the traditional types of assets, allow for that or offer a debit card uh, attached to the HSA. As a self-directed IRA custodian, because we're very unique in the types of assets that we allow our clients to participate in, we do not offer a debit card capability. So what our clients do is they go to, uh, they, may, they have a doctor's visit and they get a bill and they'll usually pay for that bill on site. Let's say it's uh, $500. And then they go to HSA, or I'm sorry, they go to Equity Trust and say, Equity Trust, please send me $500 from my HSA to reimburse myself for this health care cost. Uh, or this health care expense that I incurred, and then we go ahead and send out a check for that amount to that individual. Okay. So let's, uh, first let me again remind people, uh, please call us uh, at the uh, 513-772-9658. We're toll-free outside the local area at 877-772-9658, or email us at askvina at gmail.com. Let's uh, shift the subject over to a different type of, of account and education savings account. Uh, lots of people have college, you know, children that they want to save for. So many students now are graduating, saddled with thousands of dollars in debt. 
and their education isn't deductible. Uh, the parents, how can parents take advantage of an education savings account to use tax deferred or tax deductible funds to uh, save for their children's college? Yeah, so the, uh, the product of choice in, in those circumstances is a Coverdell education savings account. Uh, most people hear this referred to as an education savings account or arrangement. Uh, but the legislative sponsor, his name uh, was Senator Coverdell, and so that's why you hear it termed the Coverdell Education Savings Account. And this is a tax-exempt investment account, just like the HSA that we talked about, just like Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs. These accounts are tax-exempt pursuant to the tax code, which means as we're growing well in that account, as we're buying and selling real estate, in most cases, we avoid paying ordinary income taxes and capital gains tax on all of our investment returns. So, so what we like to say in this industry is you have income when you're investing with your CETA account or IRA. You have income that otherwise would hit your 1040 is sheltered in this tax-exempt investment account. So a Coverdell Education Savings Account, you can make a contribution annually up to $2,000 per child, per beneficiary. So mom or dad or grandpa or grandma would set up, the, or anyone for that matter, would set up a CISA account for a child who is considered the beneficiary. Again, you could put up to $2,000 per year. Now, unlike the, the 5498 plan that you, you might hear many people discussing, mm-hmm. the Coverdell Education Savings Account uh, does not offer a tax deduction. Okay, so um, you have to be aware of that when you're putting that $2,000 into the Covered Education Savings Account, you're not receiving a tax deduction, but all of the growth from your real estate investment activities is tax-free, and then eventually when you take money out, so as long as it's used for qualified educational expenses, it's tax-free as well. And that can be for private school, so you can use it even well under the age of 18. Uh, it can be used for books, tuition, transportation, anything related to that child's education uh, primary or secondary, the account can be used for those purposes. And again, all of those distributions are tax-free. So you have tax-free growth and you have uh, tax-free distributions. Uh, so as long as it's being used for qualified educational expenses. Okay. Now, are there, uh, I guess you said, are there income limits involved with this type of account? Uh, there, there are income limits in the sense that if you are a high-income earner, if you make uh, just over $200,000 modified adjusted gross income, you don't qualify to make a direct contribution to a CISA account. So what most individuals will do that fall into that category, the high-income earners, they will have a maybe a mother or father who's retired make the contribution, uh, a friend, uh, an investor partner, somebody that is under those MAGI limits, that's a lower income earner, that does qualify to make the contribution, but the child still has full access to that. Uh, the responsible individual, that being the legal parent or guardian, still has uh, the ability to uh, drive the account growth and make the decisions on behalf of the account. The contributor, again, can be anyone. So um, even though there are income limits or uh, if you will, if you make too much money, you can't put into a CISA account. There are ways in which you, you can navigate those arrangements. And if you are, are a high income earner, there still are options for you to get money into that CISA account on an annual basis. Um, other investors uh, sort of migrating away from the 
CISA accounts, some investors set up Roth IRAs for their children. Now, with Roth IRAs, you do have to have earned income for that child, unlike a CISA account where the child does not have to have earned income. For the child, if you can pay them, uh, maybe from your real estate business, if they're a model for your advertising campaigns, uh, maybe they're actually performing services because they're of age where they can manage your direct mail campaign, they can expand the hand address envelopes or uh, clean out your rental properties, things of that nature. You can pay them income, and then you can use that income to contribute to a Roth IRA up to 5500 for individuals under the age of 50. And with that money in a Roth IRA account, which is after tax, just like a CISA account, it grows tax-free. So you can get upwards of over $7,000 in Roth and CISA accounts on an annual basis and then start using those accounts and growing wealth tax-free. In fact, I have an investor in St. Louis, Missouri. Her name's Brittany. She has, I just checked, over $30,000 in her Roth IRA account. And her and her mother and her father co-invest in buying properties rehabbing those properties and then selling those for a significant profit on one deal alone her roth ira with only five thousand dollars invested in the deal made over six thousand dollars tax-free in her roth ira account so roth iras are great savings savings vehicles uh, for education cisa accounts of course that's their primary purpose uh, the reason why a lot of investors are attracted to roth iras because you can take distributions from a Roth IRA, even though it's for retirement, prior to the age of 59 and a half, uh, penalty-free, so as long as it's being used for educational expenses. That goes for the mother, grandfather, grandmother, etc. So Roth IRAs can be used for educational purposes. If they're not used for educational purposes, the child now has a retirement account that they can continue to grow and continue to leverage tax-free compounding interest for, for many, many years and then have that for their retirement or for their children, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I knew one man. He uh, he had an agreement with his kids. They would work at his rental, in the rental property business. They would do cleaning and raking leaves and stuff like that. And half of what they earned went to them and half went to the account he set up uh, just like this, whether it was a Roth or a CISA. And that way he was able to pay them, and they had their own earned income going into their account. So... Here's a related question. Uh, whose name is the CISA in, mine or my kids? The CISA account is in the name of the child. With a CISA account, there are three parties involved. Party one is the responsible individual, which must be the legal parent or guardian. They're the individual that's actually driving traffic. They're the one that has the dis discretionary decision-making authority over the plan. The child isn't necessarily signing documents or making any decisions whatsoever. The child is considered the beneficiary, their participant number two in the CISA account. Participant number three is the contributor, which, again, the contributor can be anyone. That could be the legal parent or guardian, so as long as they're under the income limit. Uh, could be grandpa or grandma. Could be a, an uncle. Uh, could be an investor friend. That could be anyone. Uh, but the child's name will be on the actual CISA account itself as the beneficiary. And that's important to know because when investing – if you look up in, in county records, um, I'm up in the Cleveland area, so I'm here in Cuyahoga County. If I go to the Cuyahoga County records and I search equity trust company, I'm going to find a list of properties that are owned by equity trust company. And occasionally you will see a property that says equity trust company custodian FBO is in for benefit of John Smith's Coverdell Education Savings Account. 
And that means that one of our investors, in this hypothetical scenario, John Smith, John Smith is likely a child between the ages of, I don't know, two and, and 18. And, and they have a CISA account, and that CISA account owns that property. And that property is producing rental income, and all that rental income is flowing back to the covered education savings account, avoiding taxation, and eventually those dollars can be used for John Smith's college education, could be used for private school. We have a lot of investors that are using the funds even well under the age of 18 uh, to pay for their private school tuition. In fact, an investor in uh, Cincinnati, um, gentleman bought a, uh, a property with his daughter's covered education savings account for $5,000. It was a fixer-upper um, in, a, I want to say, uh, a B to, to C-class area, great rental neighborhood, though, and he had no intent on rehabbing the property. His intent was to sell the property to an investor buyer who then was going to fix it up and rent it out or fix it up and sell it. So he bought this property for $5,000 of the covered education savings account, sold it for $15,600 to an investor buyer with $695 down, carried back the remaining financing on, a, on an 8% uh, 10-year land contract. So now the covered education savings account gets uh, uh, close to $200 in monthly principal and interest payments, which is all tax-free in the covered account. So another example of how you can take a, a small dollar account and, and begin building that by buying properties and, and selling properties on terms and, and using other types of creative financing mechanisms. So I have a question. I've heard that if I'm going to use my child's CS, CESA, Coverdale Education Savings Account, to do real estate deals, I, the parent, shouldn't be the responsible party. But is that incorrect, or who, who should uh, be? How should the, that work? That's a good question. Pursuant to the, the tax code and, and the IRS uh, applicable publications, the legal parent or guardian must serve as the responsible individual. Or in other words, the responsible individual must be the legal parent or guardian. Um, I, I think what, what you're referring to is uh, some rules with um, your involvement as the investor in your IRA-owned transaction. So when you buy and sell real estate with your IRA funds, your covered education savings account, your health savings account, that there are certain rules that the government, that the IRS has. And, and those rules are... The rule of thumb, I should say, is that you cannot do sweat equity with the properties that are owned by these accounts, but you can do the desk work. So you shouldn't be there swinging the hammer to the nail um, in, in providing services, if you will, to your IRA-owned properties or IRA-owned assets or CISA account assets or HSA assets. Um, but as far as the desk work is concerned, so you're finding the deal, you're negotiating the contract, you are overseeing the um, the rehab of a property, those types of things. So as long as they are not considered a service, you're not putting yourself in any type of compromising position as far as um, de uh, degrading the integrity of the tax-privileged account. Okay. Well, I think we need to take one more break. So uh, before we, we break, I'm going to check. I haven't had any emails come in, but if you have questions, feel free to email us at askvina at gmail.com or call in your questions at 513-772-9658 or outside the Cincinnati area, 1-877-772-9658. We'll be back in a moment. 
Hi, and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, Jim Shapiro here today, filling in for Vena Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Bowens with Equity Trust Corporation, an expert in self-directed tax-deferred investments. John, I've got a few more questions about CSEAs, and we've got a couple calls. Actually, we've got a caller on line one, and then I've got a couple uh, emails that came in, too. So before we go back to the questions, let's hear our caller on line one. Hi. Hi. Is this Jim? Yes. Hey, Jim, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Thank you. I've got some uh, Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, that are either in a bank or with an investment, you know, typical kind of a mutual fund investment investment uh, vehicle, and I'd like to be able to use them for uh, investing in real estate. How do I go about doing that? Uh, it's, it's very simple. The step one is to establish and fund a self-directed IRA account with a self-directed IRA custodian. So Equity Trust, uh, we offer self-directed IRA services and, and retirement plan services. So you would simply engage with your self-directed IRA custodian, such as Equity Trust, and say, Equity Trust, please establish a self-directed traditional IRA and Roth IRA. And then from there, we will initiate a transfer from that current bank or financial institution to the equity trust self-directed IRA, which is which is tax uh, again the same type of tax tax treatment, mm-hmm. and, and that transfer from the existing account to the equity trust IRA that doesn't create any type of tax implications or any type of uh, issues as far as the tax treatment of the IRA. You're just moving from one IRA to another IRA, and you don't have to transfer the entire amount. You may only transfer a portion just to get started to do your first deal, and then you'd like to move more over at a later date, that is also permissible. So step one, you open the account. Step two, you'll initiate a transfer from that existing financial institution to your equity trust self-directed account. Now, you do have to be mindful of the fact that that can take, that process to transfer funds from one bank to another can take anywhere between two to three to four to sometimes upwards of five weeks. you got to remember that that's another company, another financial institution that's, that's giving up funds, if you will, and sending those to another financial institution. So because uh, timing is of the essence with real estate transactions, it's very important that your account is established and funded well in advance so you don't miss out on any deals or possibly delay the, the funding of your account for the funding of your investment. And then how can I use those funds? Um, as far as the use of the funds, uh, when we talk about what types of, of real estate investments um, are permissible, uh, uh, pretty much anything that you would do outside of an IRA, you can do inside of an IRA. Uh, there's a few individuals that you can't buy properties from. You can't buy properties from yourself or transfer assets into your IRA. But if you're buying properties, you're fixing and selling properties, you're buying, fixing, and holding properties, uh, you're lending money to real estate rehabbers secured by the properties that they're buying renovating and reselling, uh, buying tax liens, uh, investing in a real estate syndication, maybe a Regulation D-506 offering where you're investing with a pool of investors who are going out and investing in apartment buildings or single-family homes to buy, fix, and sell. All of those types of investments, uh, for the most part, are permissible with the IRA account. So it's as simple as saying equity trust. I want to buy this property on 123 Main Street. Please send $50,000 by IRA to XYZ Title Company. So $50,000 in cash leaves the IRA. In return for that $50,000 in cash, they deed to the property. 
So it's no different than buying stocks. When you buy stocks, cash leaves the account in return for that cash is a stock certificate. Same concept with an IRA. Cash leaves the account in return for that cash is a deed to the property, is a mortgage, is a deed of trust, is a tax lien, whatever type of instrument it is that you're purchasing. That's the asset that's held in the IRA. And that movement of funds out of the IRA to the title company or the institution, that doesn't create any type of taxable situation. That's considered a qualified investment. And then is like a company like yours, like Equity Trust. I mean, is, is am I? What's the? Uh, am I insured? Is that those funds insured, or am I protected in any way? So uh, the firm Equity Trust, we are uh, domiciled as a trust company out of South Dakota, and so we do hold a bank charter. Uh, all cash is FDIC insured up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars, just like any other financial institution. That, that you might be familiar with. Uh, when you buy properties, uh, you no longer have FDIC insurance on the properties or the mm-hmm. assets because that is now a, a non-standard investment. At that mm-hmm. point, you would pursue uh, property insurance, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where your insurance would kick in uh, for the assets within the IRA. But know that when you initially move over cash or move over securities, uh, you do have FDIC insurance, and for securities, you have the Securities and Insurance Protection Corporation, SIPC insurance, up to $250,000 in cash, and I believe $500,000 in, in marketable securities. Okay. Just And just one other question. when If I have money in this equity account that I've not used to invest in real estate yet, I'm waiting or it's in the process, is it earning anything? It, it is earning interest. Now, our equity trust, the interest is variable. It's anywhere between 1 to 10 basis points. So, very, very minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, re- you, you start to achieve growth through your actions, through your involvement. It's a self-directed account. Mm-hmm. So um, the best way to describe this is when you move over cash into the IRA here at Equity Trust, it's essentially, it's essentially held in, in a checking account, a very, very low interest-bearing <laughs> account. Mm-hmm. You have the ability to, at a moment's notice, extract funds from that IRA to buy a property, to make a loan, uh, or even if you need it for personal uses, if you said equity trust, I need $10,000, and I know I'm under 59 and a half, and I shouldn't be taking the money out because there's a 10% penalty and I have to pay taxes, but I need it, okay, we send a check out for that amount. So equity trust, we're sort of the conduit for you to make these investments happen. Uh, you give us direction. You say, please send funds to XYZ title company or make a loan to this individual, and then we process that transaction. But we do not exercise any discretionary decision-making authority over the plan assets. So we're, a, we're truly a passive custodian. We're not acting in any fiduciary capacity whatsoever. We're simply taking your direction, allowing you to make investment decisions on your own, not relying on a financial advisor or planner or other individual to put it into stocks and mutual funds and other traditional securities and move it into an asset class that many would argue is not correlated to the traditional stock market. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. You're welcome. Thank you. John, I'm going to ask you some. Let's see if we can cover a few of these quickly, because then i got a couple closing questions, and I've got a few minutes left. Uh, one, an easy one. Uh, if I have a CISA, do I do one for each child, or can I have one for multiple children? Uh, you would need to open a CISA for, for all the children that you want to pay for their uh, college tuition or, or private school tuition, et cetera. Okay. Um, you could, however, if you set up a CISA account for, for let's say, your eldest, 
and um, they, at 26 years of age, uh, they didn't. They don't use all the CISA account money for their uh, their their schooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually transfer that to another family member. So maybe you transfer it down to uh, your 17 year old. You just have to make sure that the plans are established before the age of 18. But you can transfer those funds to and from multiple family members. Okay. Uh, is there a minimum age for the child before I can open a CISA? Um, minimum age for a child, there's, there's not necessarily a minimum age. Um, the child, you do have to have a birth certificate and a Social Security number. Uh, so, unfortunately, uh, we've had people that attempt to establish uh, CISA accounts for their children, you know, the day they're born. I mean, they're that anxious to get the money in the account, or they'll call us ahead of time and say, hey, you know, I got a child on the way. Is it possible to get this CISA account going because I got this option deal I want to do, and I think it'd be great for this CISA account. Unfortunately, you can't jump the gun that quickly. Um, there's no minimum age again, but uh, the child does have to have a birth certificate and a Social Security number. So once they meet those requirements, you can set up the CISA and put $2,000 into the account, as we said. Um, the, the account does have to be open by the age of 18, and you cannot make additional contributions after the age of 18. However, you can continue to grow the account after the age of 18. So if you're buying and selling real estate options, things of that nature, that's certainly permissible over the age of 18. It's just you cannot make additional $2,000, up to $2,000 contributions. Um, if it's not used by the age of 30, Jim, mm-hmm. you have a forced distribution. Uh, that forced distribution is then taxable, uh, and there are penalties as well that one would incur a 10% penalty. Uh, at that point, you'd want to consider transferring it to maybe if that individual is a child of their own before the age of 30, uh, taking a distrib- uh, the account could be transferred to that other child or another family member. Could you roll it over into a different kind of tax-deferred account? Uh... G- good question. You cannot, um, you cannot roll it over into a, another uh, education plan or another IRA. Uh, your only uh, option at that point would be is to take a distribution. Um, I mentioned it before, and I think I misquoted the actual uh, the actual account itself. But there's uh, what they call a uh, five, I believe, five two nine plan. Um, and the question oftentimes comes up: Can I take my 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 five twenty nine plan and roll it over into the CISA account, or vice versa, take money from my CISA account and put it in the five twenty nine plan? Unfortunately, you cannot do that. Uh, and you can't self-direct a 529 plan. So with 529 plans, you can only invest in certain types of mutual funds and securities, whereas with the CISA account, you have the ability to self-direct into to any option. Um, and there's only three things you cannot invest in with an IRA or a CISA account or HSA. You can't invest in collectibles. You can't invest in life insurance policies, and you can't invest in subchapter S corporations. But everything else is is considered permissible pursuant to uh, the tax code, for the most part, of course. Um, and if you go to the IRS website, you'll see in black and white, it states very clearly that real estate is a permissible investment. It's just because of the administrative burden, most financial institutions aren't going to allow you to invest in real estate, real estate options, and all the other alternative assets that we discuss. So we've only got a couple minutes left, John. Let me uh, make a couple points before we stop and maybe have time for one more question. Um, these accounts are so powerful. You do so many things in your investing. I know, uh, you know, we've kind of just scratched the surface today. I want to remind all of our listeners that there will be a two-day workshop on May 16th and 17th. Uh, you can learn more about it by going to the Cincinnati REIA website, CincinnatiREIA.com, 
there's information there on how to use uh, this about about the two-day seminar and how to sign up it's a very affordable workshop and we'll have uh, you know tons more information about these topics uh, and and this is not going to be a selling event uh, there's not going to be speakers there selling things this is really educational focused on how to use these tax deferred and tax uh, uh, free vehicles for making uh, for making money in real estate, which is really why we're all doing this. CincinnatiRia.com. Uh, I did have a couple questions that came in, and if we can squeeze the last one in here in a minute. Uh, one person asked the question, uh, can, if my insurance company won't pay for a procedure because it's experimental, can I use my HSA to pay for it? Can I make a decision to pay for something out of my HSA that my regular insurance says they won't fund? You likely could, even though it might be considered experimental. Um, the the tax code is, is pretty broad as far as uh, what is acceptable. Uh, even things like wheelchair accessible ramps and things of that nature, uh, you can take money from the HSA tax-free to pay for those expenses. Uh, the only thing that was really affected by the Affordable Health Care Act that went into effect was uh, over-the-counter, your Dayquil and Advil and things like that you can no longer use your HSA for. Um, so we'd have to know exactly what the nature of that experimental procedure was. It likely would fall in line with the tax code, but, but further analysis would be required. Right, one last question. I think we may run out of time on this one. Uh, John from Atlanta asks, can my Roth IRA partner with my child's CISA? Absolutely. In fact, we see that quite commonly where uh, a, a two family members will, will enter into a tenants in common arrangement or a co-investment structure to buy a property or make a loan or invest in some other type of asset. Um, very quickly, let's say an investor wanted to partner with their child's visa account and buy a $25,000 rental property. They take $12,500 from their Roth IRA and $12,500 from the, from the child's visa account, and, and they buy this $25,000 rental. So the CISA account has 50% equity in the deal. The Roth has 50% equity in the deal. So as long as all expenses are paid 50-50, improvement, property management, et cetera, and then all profits flow back to each one of the respective IRAs and investment accounts 50-50, that, that would likely be considered a permissible transaction that can be done. All right, well, we are about to wrap up. I'm going to going to put a teaser out there. I had some questions we never got to about the topic of Roth 401ks and the difference between a Roth 401k and a Roth IRA. So we're going to just have to tell everybody, if you want to hear about that, you need to come to the two-day workshop in Cincinnati on May 16th and 17th. Uh, go to the CincinnatiRia.com website for information and signing up. And with that, I'm going to thank John for having a, another great session with us. And thank everybody for listening. And all the best wishes for your real estate investing. Hope this helps you on your path to real estate success. 